duties, chores, things that you're supposed to do. How many of you, when you were a little kid, had some duties you had to do? Make up the bed, straighten your room, and take the trash out, correct? Then when, when I got older, we moved out in the country, and those duties grew to, in the winter, you fed the cows, you fed the dogs, someone had to gather the eggs, and then you had things on Saturday you had to do. Uh, you know, your duties and responsibilities grew the, uh, the older you got, correct? So we understand what a duty is. Duty is something you are supposed to do that you, that you need to do. And in Hebrews 13 tonight, we're going to look at some important Christian duties. These are, these are commands. Uh, a duty is maybe a, a nicer way of saying a command. But always remember, God never commands us to do something that doesn't help his name and that doesn't benefit the cause of Christ. And, and I, honestly, when you do the duties that God requires, it blesses you. It is a boomerang effect. I'm not always sure the duties that my dad required blessed me, to be honest with you. Sometimes I felt more like a curse. But God, they always do. They bless us. So Hebrews 13, and here's the first duty that God lays out to us tonight. And that's this, to praise the Lord, to praise the Lord. Have you ever thought about this, that not only is praising the Lord a good thing to do, a right thing to do, but it is a commanded thing to do, that you as a Christian have a duty or a responsibility to praise the name of God. You ever thought about that before? Verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, of the lips that confess his name. The word sacrifice there means a religious duty or obligation. It literally means to sacrifice something. And it, it, these, the people who were getting this letter originally were largely Jewish people. They understood the sacrificial system. And he's saying, I want you to offer a sacrifice of praise. Now, we're not going to look at these tonight, but if you're taking notes and you want to look at them later, the book of Leviticus deals heavily in the sacrificial system. And chapters 1 through 7 deal with these issues. And in chapter 7, verse 11 through 15, talk about the thanks sacrifice or the sacrifice of thanksgiving or praise. And normally what a, a Jewish person would do is they would offer a sin sacrifice for their sins to be uh, forgiven and to appease God by that. And then they could offer a peace offering or an offering of thanksgiving or praise to God. And some scholars believe that this was uh, after the, the uh, of course, the offering for your forgiveness. It was one of the highest, uh, most honored offerings that a person could offer. Here God is not asking you to drag a lamb or a cow to the altar. What he's saying is, I want you to praise my name. I want you, if you confess my name, that is a Christian, right? Those who confess the name of Christ, I want you to praise me and to honor me with your lips, not just this, well, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. Okay, that's great. God's saying, I want it to come out of your heart. I want it to be in your behavior, and I want it to come out of your lips. Continually to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who challenged us one semester. He said, I want you to try every waking hour at least one time during that hour to stop and just as simple as this, to say, God, I praise your name. 
Jesus Christ, I praise your name. Now, if you're doing this, I would prefer you not do it out loud in the middle of the sermon. Uh, tonight, you can do it silently. But, and here's what I found out, that, you know, you forget those kind of things. So you need to wear a wristband or you need to write it on your hand or you need to have a reminder. But it's a neat process. You're 16 or 17, 18, how many ever hours you're away, that if you can get in the habit of just one time during that, that hour of telling God you love him and praising the name of Jesus Christ. It's a great thing, and that's what he's telling us here to do. Now, we t- we've talked about this, what the difference in praise and thanksgiving. You praise someone for who they are. You thank them for what they do. Uh, let's say that you, uh, you, you have somebody over for dinner, and the truth is you're not a, a great cook. I am a horrible cook, so you come to my house, we're going to have, and, and my wife's not there, we're going to have Pop-Tarts, we're going to have hot dogs, we're going to have bologna. And I want to tell you, I can do some great pop, I can do all those things extremely well. But you might not like that, but you could thank me for having you over, right? If you said, Chris, you're a great cook, you would be dishonest. You would be flattering me, and that's sinful. Now, you go over, and you, you eat my wife's food, or you eat uh, uh, some Michelle Axton, you eat some of her food. Uh, you know what? You can not only thank them for cooking for you, but you can praise them for being a good cook. God wants our thanksgiving. We're splitting hairs a little bit, but the Bible splits hairs. God wants us to thank him for what he does for us, for how he protects us, things he keeps from us. But God also wants us to praise him for who he is and to lift up his name and to honor him. In fact, a duty of those who claim to be Christ followers is to praise the Lord. I want to encourage you when you have your daily, your daily quiet time, I hope you have a time you set aside to pray, to to pray and to read your Bible. Man, I believe the first thing you ought to do when you begin that prayer time is you ought to say, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. Lord, I love you. Praise the name of the Lord. Lift up the name of the Lord. And God says, listen, don't, don't just do it once a day. Do it throughout the day. It is a duty of Christ's followers to praise the Lord. Okay? That's not a bad duty, is it? That's a great duty. Uh, how many of you like to be praised? Every one of you like to be praised. So does the Lord. Lift up his name and honor God. Here's the second thing he does. tells us to do a second sacrifice. Do good to other people. Do good to others. Look in verse 16. And do not forget. In other words, they were probably in the habit of neglecting to do this. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifice, God is pleased. Now, it's interesting. He just talked about a sacrifice of praise, didn't he? Now he's talking about a sacrifice of good works. Listen, a lot of Christians, we fall off the horse one way or the other. God always teaches us to be vertical. That means with uh, our relationship with God and horizontal with our relationship with other people. Okay, one of the frustrating things as a religious person is to see people who are, are, are frenzied for God, but who don't like other people. I've actually seen this through, throughout the years, going to a Christian college and, and being in a graduate school where you had chapel and things. I've seen people who, when they were singing going up, man, they raised their hands and they moved and they were excited. And listen, if that's who you are, I'm all for that, okay? If that's real and that's genuine, that's, that's great. And don't ever condemn somebody who worships different from you if they're really worshiping God. But I've seen people do that and then turn around and snarl at people on their way out of the building. There is something wrong with that kind of religion. Amen? 
Don't tell me how much you love Jesus and you can't smile at me on the way out. Keep encouraging me and I will. But <laughs> Remember saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a bulldog. It's very important that you understand God always goes vertical and God always goes horizontal. Okay, so he says offer up that sacrifice of praise and then do good. Do good there means to perform works. It means to do what God requires. And he says to share with others. That literally means to, to help or to aid or to be in fellowship with other people. Here's what God's saying. Offer that sacrifice of praise and offer the sacrifice of, of doing good deeds to other people. Help people. Share with people. Share your money, share your time, share your food, share your car, share your life to benefit other people. It will bless them. It pleases God. It will bless you. I read a story this week of a lady named Barbara Miggs, and this was from 2008. In 2008, Barbara turned 90, and she was being honored at the Florida hospital where she had served as a volunteer for 30 years. Over the last 30 years, she had given 7,000 hours of volunteer work at that hospital. Isn't that incredible? Here's what Barbara said. Barbara said, you know, it is such a joy to know that I can help people, that I can benefit the hospital, that I can help the community. But she said, I feel better than anybody else when I go home because I know in some little way I have helped someone else's life. You see, that's the boomerang effect. You never help other people without it coming back on you. And God says, this is our duty. This is our responsibility. You know, Clayton mentioned tonight, as a church, we say we're about loving, winning, and growing. About loving God and loving people. And we want to love people. And in that word, love is ministry, it's fellowship, it's caring for people. All that's wrapped in one. And listen, we want to love people whether they love us back or not. We want to love people whether they ever come to this church or not. We want to love people even if they reject Christ. But you know what? The best opportunity we have to reach a lost world is by loving them first. You know that? It, that's absolutely the truth. Warren Wiersbe is a great Bible scholar, a preacher, was a college president. He tells a story. He had a neighbor who wasn't a Christian. He was never able to talk to this man much or help him much. One day, the man's lawnmower broke, and, and Warren went over there, and he simply, listen, he helped the man mow his yard. And the man was so stunned at his act of kindness and generosity that he became a Christian as a result of that. Isn't that great? Well, that may or may not happen in your life, but I want to tell you, the chances of reaching people for Jesus multiply uh, exponentially when they see we love them. God says, I want you to offer a sacrifice of praise to me. Praise my name. And I want you to offer a sacrifice to the world that will be to me by loving people and helping people and doing good. You know, let, let's just pause for a second. How ridiculous... For a person to say they're a Christian not want to help other people. Amen? How ridiculous for a place to say it is a church, the body of Christ, and it doesn't want to do good to other people. That's ridiculous, isn't it? So as a church, uh, as individual Christians, let's praise the Lord and let's do good to other people. Okay? Here's number three this evening. Flows right in here. Here's the third thing. Do right by your spiritual leaders. Now, this is harder for me to talk about because I'm your spiritual leader. But it's in the text. It's in the Bible. Do right by your spiritual leaders. 
I was going to get Andy to come and to, to share this point with you so I could sit and not do that. But I thought, well, I might as well go ahead since I wrote it up and thought it through. Verse, uh, three verses here we're going to talk about. But here's the first thing God says to do. He says, follow, follow your leaders. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. He's talking about church leadership here, okay? He's talking about church leaders, and he's talking about you and I and our relationship, our, us as pastors and ministers in our relationship with you. Again, probably no other subject makes me more uncomfortable than this. Uh, tithing is, is right up there. That's not a fun one. Because you can preach on tithing once every five years, and then someone's going to say, all he talks about is wanting our money. So this is tough, but it's, it is, it's very, very important. What does the word obey in verse 17 mean? It, it means to comply with. It, it means to follow. The word submit means to yield to or to, to surrender to someone or something. And here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you tonight more about them than about us, okay? So we can, we can deduct from, from what I'm talking about uh, how it applies to us. The, the truth is, in a lot of churches, this is not happening, okay? That, that's just, that's the truth. So we're not talking about First Baptist, okay? We're talking about them, right? You follow me? Okay. A lot of places, this is not happening. I... I don't have all the, the answers, but for some reason, there seems to be a desire in, in a lot of places to fight the ministers more than to follow the ministers. Part of it may be a misunderstanding of the priest to the believer, one of the great doctrines of the Bible. The priest to the believer says that everyone has access to God. Now, we've confused that to mean everyone's equal in their leadership before God. That's not true. Let me give you an example. If you're a parent and you have an a 8-year-old and a 10-year-old child who are Christians, how comfortable would you be with that 10-year-old child telling you, I have access to God just like you, Mommy and Daddy, and I've prayed about it, and I'm going to stay out till 4 in the morning. That's what God told me I could do. I can tell you what would happen in my house. There would have been another crucifixion. <laughs> Priest to the believer does not, does not negate authority and leadership. Uh, even at your workplace, if everyone's a Christian, there is a boss, isn't there? And, and, and the, the employee doesn't need to come to the boss and say, hey, I've got just as much access to God as you do. We're not all on equal footing. I'll use Reggie Hanchy here. You know, uh, Reggie was the youth minister here. He began working at the church in the Depression. And... Uh, the Depression in the 60s, that is. And, you know, if we had a, a seven-year-old child come down tonight and get saved, that child has access to God, don't they? They do not have the maturity, the wisdom, and the education and experience that Reggie Hanchy has when it comes to leadership. How many of you agree with that? Okay. So we, confu- we get confused a little bit that on the, on the priest of the believer, great, great thing. Some pastors through the years have been dictators, and the Bible's very clear about that. In, in 1 Peter 5, it talks about that. A pastor's a shepherd, not a Hitler. Uh, a shepherd leads. They don't drive. They don't beat. They don't, 
beat down. And a pastor's got to stay within biblical guidelines. Listen, there are, there are clear reasons that you wouldn't follow anybody, correct? That you stop and you say, no, that's wrong. We're not going that direction. When they get outside of biblical guidelines, no, no question about it. But here's what, what's been the problem is that, that in a lot of places, maybe the pastor's done a poor job. But oftentimes, we're not talking about our church, we're talking about other places. Other places, uh, maybe the church members have not have done a very good job for whatever reason. Now, it's interesting. He says this. He says, obey them. Uh, they, must, they must give an account to God. The word account there is the great biblical word logos, which, which means to give an intelligent word. Folks, here's a scary thing. Someday, every minister, including myself, will have to stand before God. Wayne will have to stand before God and do this. Every one of us will have to stand before God and give an intelligent word for how we led the church. That's scary, isn't it? But see, you're going to have to give an intelligent word on how you followed your ministers. That may be a little scary too. Well, God, I'm going to follow them. Uh huh. I got a feeling when I and you stand before God, we'll... Everything will be clear and straight at that point. See, we're, we're going to have to give an account for different things. And here's, here's what God says. He says, look at the end of this verse. Obey them so their, their work will be a joy, not a burden. So their, their, their work won't be grievous. How is it advantageous for you to make your ministers miserable? Is basically what he's saying. I want to read you some stats that are probably about a year old, but um, uh, they're, they're very interesting. They're very sad. Some of them are. Uh, it's about pastors in America. 90% of pastors work between 55 to 75 hours per week. So you thought it was one day, right? We have a full day on that day, basically. 50% of pastors feel they're unable to meet the demands of the job. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. of pastors in this survey said that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they had no other way of making a living. 80% of pastors believe that the ministry has negatively affected their families. 40% of pastors say that at least once a month they have a serious conflict with a parishioner. The number one reason pastors leave the ministry, church people are not willing to go the same direction, and the goal, uh, the goal of the pastor. Pastors believe God wants them to go in one direction. The people are not willing to follow or change. This is staggering. 50% of guys and ladies who enter the ministry will not be in the ministry in five years. One out of every ten people who enters the ministry actually retires as a minister. 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. 1,300 of those are terminated by a local church, many without a clear, justifiable, moral, ethical cause. Doctors, lawyers, and clergy have the most problems with drug, alcohol abuse, and suicide. That's staggering, isn't it? That's, that's staggering. And, and my guess is part of the reason is, is that, that uh, it's difficult leading a group of volunteers. How many of you have ever done that? Would you agree with that? Someone said leading volunteers is like herding cats. 
<laughs> you know, it, it, like, it, it, it's, it's difficult. I told you, before, my first church was a wonderful experience. I went there. I was 23. I think God was punishing them by sending me to them. Uh, I, I don't remember. The church was either 40 years old, and I was the 38th pastor. They were 38 years old, and I was the 40th pastor. But I was way too dumb to realize that's a problem. The guy before me had stayed two months, and he left. The guy before him stayed 10 months and left. The guy before those two, he was a hero. He stayed two years, but he left when the church split. Wow, that's tough, isn't it? And, and I want to tell you, I, I stayed there four years. I had the record. I was the, the record holder there. But it was tough because there was a, a, a small group of people who just really, honestly, they, they didn't like their pastor. And, and that... That made it tough. That made it tough. And the thing, you know, I, I was too young to realize it wasn't personal. You know, when, when, when they'd gone through that many before me, it, it really wasn't about me. It was, it was about them. So here's, here's what God says. God says, I need to be, we need to be as ministers, the people God's called us to be. And, and what God says in his word is, is that you need to follow us. Not blindly, not stupidly. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, literally. But to follow your ministers, that is a biblical charge. And here's the second thing he says, pray for your leaders. Pray. Look, at, look in verse 18. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorable in every way. I particularly urge you to pray that I may be restored to you soon. I have to tell you a, a funny story. In one of my previous churches, a lady, I, I don't really think she knew what she was saying to me, but it was funny. She said, you know, we had a, we had a, a saintly lady here years ago, and she taught a women's Sunday school class, and she said, she told us, she said, when you don't like the pastor and you're having problems with the pastor, you just begin to pray that God will lead him somewhere else. She told me that, and, and, and I don't think she meant anything by it, but I was stunned, and I, I still to this day, I wish I would have said, you know, there's a lot of pastors praying that church members will be led somewhere else too, but I didn't say that, and I'm, I'm really, I'm glad I didn't say that, because that would not have been Christ-like to have said that. Let me tell you a better way to pray for your pastors. Pray that we'll love Jesus. Pray that we'll have great quiet times. You know, the better our prayer time and Bible study time is, the better we'll minister to you. Pray that we'll love you. Pray that we'll be the shepherds that God has called us to be. Pray that we will stay blessable, that we will be protected from Satan morally and ethically. You know, you know how to have a great minister? It's to pray hard for him and to follow him, to follow her, to follow him, Okay? That's not as pretty as John 3, 16, but it's just as biblical, right? Okay, let's move on to something else y'all will enjoy more. Here's the, here's the last thought. Let God use you. It, he has three thought, four thoughts in this passage. We offer sacrifice of praise. We do good. We follow our leaders. And then he says, let God use you. And, and let me give you this thought. Listen, God is fully able to make you ready for any task. Now, that's an important thing. God is fully able to equip you and to make you ready for any task. I said this this morning, I'll say it again. Some of us are sitting literally or figuratively on our hands, and we're not serving and doing because we don't feel qualified. Look what he says in verse 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood 
of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what's pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's what he says. He said, look, God brought Jesus back from the dead. How many of you agree that's a great thing? How many of you agree that's something that only God can do? If God can bring Jesus back from the dead, can he not equip you for what he wants you to do? That's the point he's trying to make. If he can bring a dead person back to life, he can qualify you to do his work, is what he's trying to get at. The word equip there is a great word. It it literally means, it's the picture of a doctor setting a broken bone and making it whole again. Or a fisherman mending his nets where where the nets are going to be ready to be used again. Or are people getting a ship ready to go out to sea and they're equipping it. What he's saying here is that that God will completely qualify you and make you adequate for any task he calls you to do. Isn't that great? Well, I, I don't have the ability to teach. I don't have the ability to work with young people. I don't have the ability to be a deacon. I don't have the ability to serve on this or to do this. Listen, if God calls you, God qualifies you. If God calls you to do it, God gifts you to do it. That's good news. In the last part of verse 21, he says, listen, equip you with every good, good thing for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. Listen, God's doing this if you'll let him. And the last thought is simply this, just get with it. You, you, we're, we're without excuse. Get with whatever God is leading you to do. God calls you, God qualifies you. God points you in a direction, God's going to gift you, God's going to make it happen. And and the great news, what, what this means, guys, is that you and I can live for him, we can obey him, we can serve him, we can do anything that God tells us to do. Because he empowers us and strengthens us to do it. You know, you, you go back to some of the tasks, some of the duties that you've had in your life. Some of them were, were menial. Some of them, you, you know, even though uh, uh, an eight-year-old making his bed uh, is important because it's teaching that kid discipline, it's making the room look better. You know, to an eight-year-old, it's hard to see the significance. But you look at the things that God has called us to do tonight. We're talking about a life of praise, uh, a life of good works and helping, following your leaders, praying for them, and, and letting God use you. Letting God use you. Those are duties that are noble and honorable and that truly matter. So here's my charge to you tonight. If you're a Christian... Are those four things, where are you making an A, where are you making a B, where are you making a D or an F, and will you tonight get it right with God? Will you look at those four things in your life tonight and this week and say, God, with your help, I'm going to live those things out. Those are my duties. I'm going to do them. Maybe where you're standing or at the altar, you need to make that commitment to God. You're here tonight and you're not a Christian. The first call of God, your first duty is to give your heart to him. Will you come and do that? In a moment when we stand. If you want to join the church, a great time to do that would be this evening. Let's stand. As God leads you, whatever God's telling you to do, remember, you got the ability to pull it off.